Clause 3, Apportionment of Representatives and Taxes. Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states which may be included within this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years, and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. The actual enumeration shall be made within three years after the first meeting of the Congress of the United States, and within every subsequent term of ten years, in such manner as they shall by law direct. The number of representatives shall not exceed one for every 30,000, but each state shall have at least one representative, and until such enumeration shall be made, the state of New Hampshire shall be entitled to choose three, Massachusetts eight, Rhode Island and Providence Plantations one, Connecticut five, New York six, New Jersey four, Pennsylvania eight, Delaware one, Maryland six, Virginia ten, North Carolina five, South Carolina five, and Georgia three. After much debate, the framers of the Constitution decided to make population the basis of apportioning the seats in the House of Representatives and the tax liability among the states. To facilitate this, the Constitution mandates that a census be conducted every 10 years to determine the population of each state and of the nation as a whole and establishes a rule for who shall be counted or excluded from the count. As the new form of government would become operational prior to the completion of a national census, the Constitution also provides for a temporary apportionment of seats. Originally, the population of each state and of the nation as a whole was ascertained by adding to the whole number of free persons, three-fifths the number of all other persons, for example, slaves, but excluding non-tax Native Americans. This constitutional rule, known as the three-fifths compromise, was a compromise between southern and northern states in which three-fifths of the population of slaves would be counted for enumeration purposes and for the apportionment of seats in the House of Representatives and of taxes among the states. It was, according to Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story, writing in 1833, a matter of compromise and concession, confessedly unequal in its operation, but a necessary sacrifice to that spirit of conciliation, which was indispensable to the union of states having a great diversity of interests, and file condition, and political institutions. Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, 1868, later superseded Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 and explicitly repealed the Compromise. Following the completion of each census, Congress is empowered to use the aggregate population and all the states, according to the prevailing constitutional rule for determining population, to determine the relative population of each state to the population of the whole, and, based on its calculations, to establish the appropriate size of the House and to allocate a particular number of representatives to each state according to its share of the national population. Since enactment of the Reapportionment Act of 1929, a constant 435 House seats have been apportioned among the states according to each census, and determining the size of the House is not presently part of the apportionment process. With one exception, the apportionment of 1842, the House of Representatives had been enlarged by various degrees from 65 members in 1788 to 435 members by 1913. The determination of size was made based on the aggregate national population, so long as the size of the House did not exceed one member for every 30,000 of the country's total population nor did the size of any state's delegation exceed one for every 30,000 of that state's population. With the size of the House still fixed at 435, the current ratio, as of the 2010 census, is around one representative per 700,000 persons. However, after the 1920 census, Congress failed to apportion the House, with the House using the allocations of the Apportionment Act of 1911 until after the 1932 elections, which was the date determined by Congress after it passed and the President enacted the Reapportionment Act of 1929. This resulted in the representation within the House to remain frozen for 20 years. 
reapportionment of the House required Congress to pass a bill and the President to sign into law an act to reapportion the House from since the ratification of the Constitution up until 1941, which is when a self-executing statute was enacted, thus making reapportionment an automatic process. Although the first sentence in this clause originally concerned apportionment of both House seats and taxes among the several states, the 14th Amendment sentence that replaced it in 1868 mentioned only the apportionment of House seats. Even so, the constraint placed on Congress's taxation power remained, as the restriction was reiterated in Article 1 Section 9 Clause 4. The amount of direct taxes that could be collected by the federal government from the people in any state would still be tied directly to that state's share of the national population. Due to this restriction, application of the income tax to income derived from real estate and specifically income in the form of dividends from personal property ownership such as stock shares was found to be unconstitutional because it was not apportioned among the states, that is to say, there was no guarantee that a state with 10% of the country's population paid 10% of those income taxes collected, because Congress had not fixed an amount of money to be raised and apportioned it between the states according to their respective shares of the national population. To permit the levying of such an income tax, Congress proposed and the states ratified the 16th Amendment, which removed the restriction by specifically providing that Congress could levy a tax on income from whatever source derived without it being apportioned among the states or otherwise based on a state's share of the national population. Clause 4. Vacancies. When vacancies happen in the representation from any state, the executive authority thereof shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies. Generally states and territories fill vacancies within the House of Representatives according to their own laws, however when vacancies within the House exceed 100 members, the Speaker of the House will announce extraordinary circumstances have occurred, which obligates the executive authority of all states with vacancies to hold a special election within 49 days of the announcement. This election is initiated via a writ of election from the Governor. Clause 5, Speaker and Other Officers, Impeachment. The House of Representatives shall choose their Speaker and other officers, and shall have the sole power of impeachment. Section 2 further provides that the House of Representatives may choose its Speaker and its other officers. Though the Constitution does not mandate it, every Speaker has been a member of the House of Representatives. The Speaker rarely presides over routine House sessions, choosing instead to deputize a junior member to accomplish the task. Finally, Section 2 grants to the House of Representatives the sole power of impeachment. Although the Supreme Court has not had an occasion to interpret this specific provision, the Court has suggested that the grant to the House of the sole power of impeachment makes the House the exclusive interpreter of what constitutes an impeachable offense. This power, which is analogous to the bringing of criminal charges by a grand jury, has been used only rarely. The House has begun impeachment proceedings 62 times since 1789, and 20 federal officials have been formally impeached as a result, including, three presidents, Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, and Donald Trump, one cabinet secretary, William W. Belknap, one senator, William Blunt, one Supreme Court Associate Justice, Samuel Chase, and 14 federal judges. Also, notably, impeachment proceedings compelled the resignation of President Richard Nixon. The Constitution does not specify how impeachment proceedings are to be initiated. Until the early 20th century, a House member could rise and propose an impeachment which would then be assigned to a committee for investigation upon a formal resolution vote of the Judicial Committee. Presently, it is the House Judiciary Committee that initiates the process and then, after investigating the allegations, prepares recommendations for the whole House's consideration. If the House votes to adopt an impeachment resolution, the Chairman of the Judiciary Committee recommends a slate of managers, whom the House subsequently approved by resolution. These representatives subsequently become the prosecution team in the impeachment trial in the Senate. Section 3. Senate. 
Clause 1, Composition and Election of Senators. The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, chosen by the legislature thereof, for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. The first clause of Section 3 provides that each state is entitled to have two senators, who would be elected by its state legislature, now by the people of each state, serve for staggered six-year terms, and have one vote each. By these provisions, the framers of the Constitution intended to protect the interests of the states as states. This clause has been superseded by the 17th Amendment, ratified in 1913, which, in part, provides as amended, that the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, elected by the people thereof, for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. Article 5 specifies the means by which the Constitution of the United States can be amended. It ends by temporarily shielding three Article 1 clauses from being amended. This clause is among them. The others are first and fourth clauses in Section 9. Article 5 provides that no state, without its consent, shall be deprived of its equal suffrage in the Senate. Thus, no individual state may have its individual representation in the Senate adjusted without its consent. That is to say, an amendment that changed this clause to provide that all states would get only one senator, or three senators, or any other number, could become valid as part of the Constitution if ratified by three-fourths of the states, however, one that provided for some basis of representation other than strict numerical equality, for example, population, wealth, or land area, would require the unanimous consent of all the states. Denying the states their intended role as joint partners in the federal government by abolishing their equality in the Senate would, according to Chief Justice Salmon P. Chase, in Texas v. White, destroy the grounding of the Union. This Article 5 provision has been employed by those opposed to contemplated constitutional amendments that would grant the District of Columbia full representation in the Congress without also granting it statehood. Their argument is that an amendment that would allow a non-state district to have two senators would deprive the states of their equal suffrage in the Senate and would therefore require unanimous ratification by all the states. Those in favor of the amendment have argued that the states are merely entitled to equal suffrage amongst one another, and that granting the federal district Senate representation does not violate that right. Whether unanimous consent of the 50 states would be required for such an amendment to become operative remains an unanswered political question. Clause 2 classification of senators, vacancies. Immediately after they shall be assembled in consequence of the first election, they shall be divided as equally as may be into three classes. The seats of the senators of the first class shall be vacated at the expiration of the second year, of the second class at the expiration of the fourth year, and of the third class at the expiration of the sixth year, so that one-third may be chosen every second year, and if vacancies happen by resignation, or otherwise, during the recess of the legislature of any state, the executive thereof may make temporary appointments until the next meeting of the legislature, which shall then fill such vacancies. After the first group of senators was elected to the first Congress, 1789-1791, the senators were divided into three classes as nearly equal in size as possible, as required by this section. This was done in May 1789 by law. It was also decided that each state's senators would be assigned to two different classes. Those senators grouped in the first class had their term expire after only two years, those senators in the second class had their term expire after only four years, instead of six. After this, all senators from those states have been elected to six-year terms, and as new states have joined the Union, their Senate seats have been assigned to two of the three classes, maintaining each grouping as nearly equal in size as possible. In this way, election is staggered. Approximately one-third of the Senate is up for re-election every two years, but the entire body is never up for re-election in the same year, as contrasted with the House, where its entire membership is up for re-election every two years. 
As originally established, senators were elected by the legislature of the state they represented in the Senate. If a senator died, resigned, or was expelled, the legislature of the state would appoint a replacement to serve out the remainder of the senator's term. If the state legislature was not in session, its governor could appoint a temporary replacement to serve until the legislature could elect a permanent replacement. This was superseded by the 17th Amendment, which provided for the popular election of senators, instead of their appointment by the state legislature. In a nod to the less populous nature of the Senate, the amendment tracks the vacancy procedures for the House of Representatives in requiring that the governor call a special election to fill the vacancy, but, unlike in the House, it vests in the state legislature the authority to allow the governor to appoint a temporary replacement until the special election is held. Note, however, that under the original Constitution, the governors of the states were expressly allowed by the Constitution to make temporary appointments. The current system, under the 17th Amendment, allows governors to appoint a replacement only if their state legislature has previously decided to allow the governor to do so. Otherwise, the seat must remain vacant until the special election is held to fill the seat, as in the case of a vacancy in the House. Clause 3. Qualifications of Senators. No person shall be a senator who shall not have attained to the age of 30 years, and been nine years a citizen of the United States, and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state for which he shall be chosen. A senator must be at least 30 years of age, must have been a citizen of the United States for at least nine years before being elected, and must reside in the state they will represent at the time of the election. The Supreme Court has interpreted the Qualifications Clause as an exclusive list of qualifications that cannot be supplemented by a House of Congress exercising its Section 5 authority to judge. The qualifications of its own members, or by a state in its exercise of its Section 4 authority to prescribe the times, places and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives. Clause 4, Vice President is President of the Senate. The Vice President of the United States shall be President of the Senate, but shall have no vote, unless they are equally divided. Section 3 provides that the Vice President is the President of the Senate. Accepting the duty to receive the tally of electoral votes for President, this is the only regular responsibility assigned to the office of the Vice President by the Constitution. When serving in this capacity, the Vice President may cast tie-breaking votes. Early in the nation's history, Vice Presidents frequently presided over the Senate. In modern times, the Vice President usually does so only during ceremonial occasions or when a tie in the voting is anticipated. As of December 21, 2018, a tie-breaking vote has been cast 268 times. Clause 5, President pro tempore and other officers. The Senate shall choose their other officers, and also a President pro tempore, in the absence of the Vice President, or when he shall exercise the office of the President of the United States. Clause 5 provides for a President pro tempore of the Senate, who is elected to the post by the Senate, to preside over the body when the Vice President is either absent or exercising the powers and duties of the President. Although the constitutional text seems to suggest the contrary, the Senate's current practice is to elect a full-time President pro tempore at the beginning of each Congress, as opposed to making it a temporary office only existing during the Vice President's absence. Since World War II, the senior, longest-serving, member of the majority party has filled this position. As is true of the Speaker of the House, the Constitution does not require that the President pro tempore be a senator, but by convention, a senator is always chosen. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only and is not intended to be legal or professional advice.
The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.